Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today, we celebrate the second Sunday of Advent, and in doing so, we hear in the Gospel John the Baptist coming on the scene. Notice how it begins. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of a region of Iteria and Traconius. This story begins like all other stories in the ancient world during Jesus' time, calling upon powerful and influential people of the world. These people were the power brokers. They were the movers and the shakers. These were the people that had authority over others. And so this is how stories began in the ancient world. Why? Well, it was meant to reach out and grab your attention and to hold you and to tell you that this is a significant story. That's why it brings in these powerful people at the very beginning of the story. If we were to write in this sort of literary genre or style, we would say in the 21st century, we would say in the second year of President Trump's presidency, when Scott Walker was the governor of our state, and when these people who were CEOs of these corporations were in power, we would use that same genre. And so it begs the question, is Luke, who is the author of this gospel, conforming to the power brokers of his time? Better yet, is Luke writing a secular story for us all? No. In fact, on the contrary, Luke tells us that the power of the word of God did not come to these power brokers of Caesar or Pontius Pilate, but instead, Luke tells us, The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the desert. The word that is mentioned here is the message. The Messiah is coming, and coming soon. The Messiah that the Israelites longed for for hundreds and hundreds of years is coming. And yet, this word, this message, this powerful message, is spoken to to John, this poor little social nobody. Now, logic dictates If you expect God to speak to anyone about this most important message, the Messiah's coming, you'd think he would speak to these power brokers. For example, Caesar himself. Caesar could immediately snap his fingers and this message would be immediately dispatched and promulgated throughout the entire world. These people held a great deal of power and influence. But whom does God speak this powerful message to? John, dressed in camel hair, eating locusts, living in the desert. John, according to all worldly standards, is a nobody. He holds no position of power, no influence, no authority. He would be, as it seems, the last person that God would turn to 
to speak and entrust this most powerful message of the coming of the long-awaited Messiah. John seems like to be the least person that God would turn to. It would seem like God would turn to the high and mighty, those living in palaces, those who had authority, but he doesn't. He turns to John. Now, why is that? Well, I think the key is God's love. God's love is the power we must rely upon, not the powers of this world. Not that the powers of this world are inherently bad. That's not my intention. But in the very measure in which we rely upon the powers of this world, whether it's government or big business, whatever it may be, to dictate our life, by the very measure that the powers of this world become the ultimate sustaining power in our lives, such that they dictate, they tell us how to live our lives, what we should believe and what we should value, well, then we're in big trouble. Why is that? Well, because some of the powers of this world are misleading, even downright deceitful. Rather, in the simplicity of John the Baptist in the desert, that's where we find God's word and God's love. And that's why John is one of the major biblical figures of the season of Advent. What does John preach? It says, John went throughout the whole region of the Jordan, proclaiming the baptism of repentance or the forgiveness of sins. John speaks of the coming of the Messiah, who will reconcile all people back to God. Better yet, he will bring people once exiled back to God. The Israelites, they were held captive by the Babylonians, by the Assyrians, Even during John the Baptist's day, by the Romans, they occupied Israel. For us, spiritually speaking, we are held captive ourselves by our own sin. Our sin captivates us. That's why we sing that classic Advent song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Israel, yes, literally is captive by the Babylonians, the Syrians, and the Romans, They're also spiritually captivated by their own sin. So too are we. We are held captive by our sinfulness. Notice the second part of the song, and ransom captive Israel. Well, ransom is always paid to free a hostage. Therefore, what must be paid for us to be ransomed or freed from our captivity? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, that's the ransom, that's the payment that has to be made in order for us to be released from our sin and death. And Jesus is the person who can do it. Now, stay with that theme of captive. Turn to the first reading from Baruch. Baruch essentially was Jeremiah's assistant and secretary. Now listen what Baruch tells the Israelites. Up Jerusalem, stand up the, the heights. Look to the east and see your children, gathered from the east and the west at the word of the Holy One. Baruch right now is in Babylon, along with the rest of the Israelites, held captive and is in exile. But Baruch sees a time when the Israelites will return to God's grace and return home to Israel. He continues on in the first reading. He says, For God has commanded that every lofty mountain be made low, and that aged depths and gorges be filled with level grounds. 
What are lofty mountains and gorges and valleys? They're all obstacles to travel. It's hard to walk up a mountain or travel down a valley. Well, God lowers the mountains and fills the valleys. He clears all obstacles. All obstacles, whether it is literally or spiritually, especially the obstacle of sin. And now we have a clear path towards God. Everything that hinders our path to God, now Jesus Christ, he comes. He comes and he clears all those obstacles so that now we can easily return to God. If you look at the history of the Israelites, God has done this many times over. One great example of this is when God parts the Red Sea. Here the Red Sea was clearly an obstacle preventing the Israelites from escaping, from living as slaves to the Egyptians. And yet, what does God do? He parts the Red Sea. The Israelites, they cross the Red Sea, and now they make their way to the Promised Land to be with God. Well, Baruch is telling the Israelites God is going to do the same thing. Eventually, they will be liberated from the Babylonians. Now again, stay with that theme of exile. It's heavily influenced throughout the Bible. People literally or spiritually being exiled by God. God's people captured by sin, carried away, only to be liberated by the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now that same theme continues on in Advent. Advent is a season in which we have to take a long, hard look at ourselves See where sin has captured us and carried us away. We, like the Israelites, we ache and we long to return to God. Therein lies the good news. God wills not, not for us to remain in exile, but instead to return home. To return home, to be in a right relationship with God, the way it was always intended before the fall of grace with Adam and Eve. And that's the mission of Jesus Christ. And that's the message of John. Notice how John quotes the prophet Isaiah. He says, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low. The winding roads shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. Again, this is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, coming to clear all the obstacles away so that we always have a clear and straight path. To God, that nothing stands in our way to growing in our relationship as well as in our righteousness with God. And so Jesus, through the Eucharist, through the sacraments, his teaching, his church, but most especially his sacrifice, when he mounts the cross, through his death and resurrection, Jesus clears the greatest obstacle we had with God, sin and death. Well, now that is all cleared away through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that's what John is trying to prepare us for as we begin the season of Advent and long for our Messiah to come, just like the Israelites did. And yet, for us, it's for the Messiah to come each and every day into our life, to continually clear those obstacles so we can always draw closer to him. John's message, you could say, is in some ways an examination of conscience to recognize that we open ourselves up, our heart, mind, and soul, our will and our intellect, to allow Jesus to clear away all those obstacles that prevent us from drawing closer to him. 
What's the key? Simple dedication to the things of God. And see, that's why the word and the love of God came to John. Didn't go to Caesar or Pilate or Herod. They didn't practice that simple dedication to the things of God. John did. That's why he received the word and the love of God. So too with us. We must continue that simple dedication to the things of God. Praying every day. Going to Mass every week. Confession. The corporal and spiritual works of mercy. We do those things, then Christ will always make sure that the path that leads to us will have no obstacles at all so that we can draw closer to Jesus each and every day of our life. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.